Open your Bibles to Psalm 109, Psalm 109, and you might title this Psalm, The Prayer of a Persecuted Saint. <clears throat> the Prayer of a Persecuted Saint. There are a lot of things in this Psalm that you may see uh, how Jesus was persecuted. And if you want to apply it to some of his persecutions, that's fine, and some we may do that ourselves too. But uh, we just want to deal with it on a practical basis also because uh, the, the Psalmist David was persecuted and and uh, it is a prayer of how he was persecuted himself, as well as typical and prophetic of what uh, Christ went through and of what you and I many times go through. So you might look at it all in this threefold light, if you will. And uh, if you look at uh, Psalm 109, the very first verse, it says, Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. And so uh, this psalmist praised God even though God was silent. Sometimes does it seem like God is silent toward you and you say, well, you know, you don't know whether you should, uh, how you should react and give thanks for just seemingly silence when the heavens are silent. And yet God is there and he's still listening. He knows what's going on. And so he found it a reason uh, for prayer. And he says, hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. I want to hear from you. I want you not to be silent toward me. And I want to hear what you have to say uh, to me in my time of uh, need and persecution. And David complains of his enemies in several verses here. And then he prays for help. And uh, he uh, shows the, enemy, uh, the sins of the enemies that are around about him. And that are get, causing him this persecution and trouble. And then I want you to notice in verse 2. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me, they have spoken against me with a lying tongue. He was slandered by wicked men. And do you know wicked men say bad things and say wicked things? Don't ever think that we're living in a world that everyone is kind and tender-hearted and loving and caring because there's a lot of wickedness round about us. And there, there are men that are known to, to just, just be wicked in their speaking to you and to uh, others round about, and they care not for uh, kindness and love and caring. And they speak with a lying tongue. In the Proverbs it says a, a false witness will speak lies. And we have seen that in times past uh, in courts of law and various other things. And of course we know the false witnesses spoke lies against Jesus, didn't they? Remember they found the witnesses and none of them could agree together about what they were going to tell about Jesus. And they finally found two, two false witnesses. They found some that would agree, yes, he, he's guilty of this. And so they stated their case. <clears throat> then I want you to notice verse 3. It says, says, They compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. Words of falsehood, words of misrepresentations, words of uh, accusations, Words of scorn, and all of these were aimed at Jesus as well. In Matthew 27, let's uh, read a few verses of what happened to Jesus. Matthew 27, beginning with verse 39. It says, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself. He didn't say anything about he would build the temple in three days, except referring to his body, and they didn't understand that. Remember earlier in John's Gospel when he said, he says, destroy this temple in three days I will raise it up again. And then it says, this he spake of the temple of his body. And that spoke of his resurrection. But 
they were using, they see they misunderstood his words because they were uh, not spiritual in their thinking. They didn't know what he was talking about. And it says, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God. He had proven himself to be the Son of God. And they're saying, if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Now, Jesus could have come down from the cross. In fact, Jesus could have never gone to the cross. He didn't have to go to the cross. He said he could have called, called heaven's angels, legions of angels to his rescue. He could have uh, uh, refused the cross. He could have gone back to heaven as he did after his uh, crucifixion and resurrection as he ascended back to heaven. He could have left this old world behind and said, well, if it's so rotten and so wicked, I'll just let it fan herself and go back to glory. And he says, Father, glorify thy son with the glory that he had with thee before the world was. But instead of that, in John 17, he said, I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now glorify uh, thy son with thy own glory that he had with thee before the world was. So he did not go back to heaven without fulfilling his purpose upon this earth. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. And by the way, had he come down from the cross, uh, he could have not saved others, uh, us. And on down in verse 42, it says, He saved others himself he cannot save. And if he had come down from the cross, he could not have saved others either. Because it was by the cross that he saved others. If he be the king of Israel, verse 42 now, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Well, he came out of the grave and they didn't believe him. So uh, it doesn't make any difference what uh, uh, a person might do if a person is set, uh, if some soul is set upon uh, disbelief and unbelief, uh, they will continue in unbelief because God has given us his word to believe and accept. Re remember we studied... <coughs> excuse me, in Luke's gospel in our Sunday school lesson last week, where the rich man and Lazarus, uh, you have the record there, and, and the rich man says, send Lazarus to my brothers, and they'll believe him. And uh, Father Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, and again the answer came, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, Neither will they believe, though one rose from the dead and went to them from the dead. And so, if you will not believe God's record and God's word, the greatest miracle on earth could take place in front of your eyes and you'd be skeptical. And you wouldn't believe it. You'd say, well, it's a trick. You wouldn't believe a real, actual miracle. They didn't believe the actual rising of Christ from the dead. And Jesus appeared to them 40 days and uh, above 500 brethren at one time. And then ascended back to heaven in their presence. And yet, there was still skepticism and unbelief. So notice this word. Let's read again verse, uh, <clears throat> verse uh, 3. They compass me about also with words of hatred. We're back in our Psalms. Always hold your place where we're studying in the Psalm. They compass me about also with words of hatred. You know, words can hurt sometimes worse than anything else. Words of hatred. Someone said, I didn't lay a hand on them. I didn't touch them. But what did you say? What did you say? Sometimes words can be more cutting and more injurious than uh, a fist or a slap or a hurt or any other kind of thing. And that's why we need to tender our words. That's why we need to be careful about our words. I gave you this before, I think, one time. It's be careful of the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet. You never know from day to day which ones you'll have to eat. 
So you better be careful of them, right? Be careful of the words. Words are important. Sometimes we play, place uh, very little attention to words. And uh, the preacher, he preaches and, uh, you know, some people take it for serious and others take it for uh, just, well, you know, it's just the preacher preaching. But usually what we have to say and try to say is something that uh, has a scriptural basis and background and, and uh, uh, stability behind it. And if it doesn't, we shouldn't be uh, saying too much about it anyway, should we? Uh, look at verse uh, 4. For my love, they are my adversaries. Look at this. For my love, they hated because he loved. For my love, they are my adversaries. But I give myself unto prayer. All I can do is pray about it. He was found guilty of excess love. Isn't that something to be accused of? You love me too much. And for my love, he says, they are my adversaries. In verse 5 it says, And they have rewarded me evil for good. That's devil-like to reward evil for good. And hatred for my love. Remember it said concerning Jesus that they they hated me without a cause. Evil for good. The Bible tells us of Jesus who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. In the book of Acts, recording about Jesus. And what did they do to Jesus? They rewarded him evil for good. In verse 6, Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. When wicked men rebel against God's servant, it's often instigated by Satan. Remember, uh, Jesus spoke of Judas, and he says, Judas... uh, what you do, do quickly. What thou doest, do quickly. And it said that Satan, let me read in Luke 22 if I can find it quickly. Luke chapter 22, and I think it's verse uh, <clears throat> verse 3. Luke 22 and verse 3. It says, Then entered Satan into Judah surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. See, the evil that Judas did was instigated by uh, Satan's control over him. And so when wicked men rebel against God's servant, it's often instigated by Satan. And if you look at that verse again, verse 6 in our text, it says, Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. Let him be the controlling power and force behind that sin. Look in verse 7. When he shall be judged, let him be Condemned and let his prayer become sin. Even a prayer can become sin. A black-hearted villain in prayer. I'm, I'm, I was reminded when I was studying this of uh, the war in the Gulf. And you know, Saddam Hussein caused women, children, men killed, killed. Had many of them put to death himself personally. Had them put to death in northern uh, Iraq as well as what went on in the south. And all the television programs would show him going down praying, you know. Remember that? Remember those scenes? It says here, and let his prayer become sin. In verse 8 it says, let his days be few and let another take his office. This is spoken directly concerning Judas, by the way, and what happened to him when he sinned against the Lord in betraying him and then went out and hanged himself. The Bible tells us what happened to Judas. In Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn to it, verse 20. Acts chapter 1. Let's see if we can find it. In verse 20. Well, let's read uh, several verses. Let's read uh, 
begin with verse 16 through 20. It says, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which was which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had, had obtained part of this ministry. He was one of the apostles. Now this man purchased the field with a reward of iniquity, and falling headlong he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch that as that field is called in their proper tongue a seldoma, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, or office, or charge, let another take. And by the way, that's where we're reading. It's cited in this very verse that we're looking at in Psalm 109, verse 8. His office, let another take. His charge, let another take. You know, when I read this about Judas hanging himself and all, I'm reminded of, you know, most of our programs that try to picture what happened in the crucifixion in the, the time of Jesus. They so show Judas a real kind of loving guy, and all he was doing he was using the scheme to try to help Jesus instead of hurt him. They kind of whitewash everything that takes place. They show him in one picture, I forget which one it is, going and jumping in the fire. Why don't they be true to Scripture and show him going out and hanging himself and the rope breaking, falling down on the rocks and and the, the mountains and all of his insides coming out and then someone taking his place, as Peter said, another his office another would take. Uh, but, you know, they never show all the true things. That's why I'm so much, uh, I'm not real hopped up on getting videos to show unless it's very scriptural. Because a lot of people show it their, their own way. Some of these uh, videos show Jesus uh, out there and John the Baptist out there baptizing in Jordan, you know, and he takes a handful of water, pours it on their head like that. That's not baptizing. But you know, it's acceptable because everyone can can participate. And it's a kind of non-denominational, interdenominational. Now, I never knew the difference between non and inter. Did you? They say we're non-denominational. What does that mean? That means we're interdenominational. So you have all kinds, and they, they use those terms. But anyway, that means they'll stand, uh, accept anything and stand for nothing a lot of times. But anyway, uh, the thing about it is, the Bible teaches that this scripture here was directly applied to if you turn back in our Psalm 109 verse 8, let his days be few and let another take his office. If you have the word office there uh, in your Bible, usually it has a, a number and it has a marginal reference. It says charge. In fact, the, the reference we gave you in Acts 120 says bishopric or charge, let another take. Okay, verse 9, let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. What happens when uh, this kind of thing takes place? When one rebels against God, often rebellious people result have results of tragedy in their lives. And the, even the family of wicked men often have to suffer. And the outcome of a wicked man's punishment is what happens to not only himself, but to his family. Can you imagine a man that's lived in wickedness and brought great uh, sin into his whole family? And after he's gone, if he could look back and see what horror and what Te uh, terrible punishment and, and what results of his sin were in, in the lives of his own family and what it cost. They wouldn't be so quick to do the things they do, would they? And it does cause a lot of problems. If you'll remember in the case of Achan, 
his sin in the Old Testament caused his whole family to be stoned to death. His wife and his children suffered in the whole whole thing because of his sin. One man's sin led to many people suffering. And Israel's defeat, by the way. It says, Let his children be fatherless, his wife a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds and beg. And let them seek uh, their bread also out of... Uh, their desolate places, let the, the extortioner catch all that he hath, and let the stranger spoil his labor. My, all the horrible things that happen. And then in verse 12, let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. What? What is the result of not being merciful? Unmerciful men reap what they sow, even in their children. Jesus said, blessed are the, listen, merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And when you're unmerciful, what do you expect in return? When you're uncaring, when you're unloving, what do you expect is going to happen to you? The Bible says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Not something else, but that very same thing. If you sow wheat in the field, you get wheat. If you sow oats, you get oats. Corn, you get corn. Whatsoever you reap in in, uh, kind, and you reap in in uh, quantity too. You say you sow a little bit of oats, well you reap, uh, you just reap a, a certain amount. But if you sow a, a normal amount, well then you get a normal amount of, of produce and fruitfulness out of it. If you go out here and sow a field of wheat and say, well I'm supposed to sow a half bushel of acre, a third, whatever it takes, and you sow just a little skimpy bit, when the crop comes up, you're not going to have a 20 or 30 bushels of acre wheat crop. You're going to have just a little shy crop, aren't you? Because you didn't put enough seed in the ground. Well, if you sow bad seed, you're going to also reap a lot of bad things. So let's try to sow good things. It's good for boys and girls, children, to be brought up right and not to sow all the bad things in their lives because you'll have a lesser crop of the things to reap of the bad things in your life. You see, it pays to be a child of God from a youth, from a small child. It pays to be a child of God early in your life. I'm thankful for these kiddos that were baptized Christmas and before and after. You know, along about that time we had several that were baptized. They came, accepted Jesus, they were baptized, they started their life outright. Maybe they'll be relieved of a lot of the things that others have had to endure because of not sowing in the right way. D.L. Moody was asked one time, he went to a revival meeting, had a revival meeting, called back and they said, how'd the meeting uh, turn out? And he says, I had uh, two and a half conversions. Two and a half. And they said, what do you mean by two and a half? He said, well, I had two children and one adult. The one adult, his life was half gone. The two children had their whole life before them. Right? And so they, they were two and a half. The other one was just, he was saved all right, but just half of his life because our life here is salvation too, isn't it? And this is a part of our salvation is what we have now. He has saved us. And we are being saved, and we shall be saved. He saved us from the penalty of sin by His sacrificial death. We're being saved from the power of sin by His indwelling Spirit and by His intercession on high. And we shall be saved from the presence of sin when Jesus comes again, completely soul, body, and spirit. And we're looking forward to the completion of it. Okay, verse uh, verse uh, 13. Let His posterity be cut off, and in, in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Look. Let their name be blotted out. What do you think about that? Even the memory of the wicked will be forgotten. It says in Proverbs 10 verse 7, The memory 
of the wicked shall rot. Let his name be blotted out from existence, not only as it was, but from memory. Wouldn't you hate to never be remembered by anyone? But if you if you do what God wants you to do, someday down the years, well, they'll look back and say, that person was a good Christian. I can remember how they lived their life or how they witnessed or how they worked or how they served or whatever. People look back upon you with respect and with uh, thankfulness. And, of course, we know the Lord. He keeps the real records, doesn't he? Let's look at this next verse. Verse uh, 14 and 15. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered with the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. You have much the same thing spoken of there. The memory of the wicked. And the sin of the wicked will be remembered as a warning to others. Look at that. It says, Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered. Let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. See that? Their sins will be remembered. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. So we find that uh, the sin of the wicked is remembered, and it's a warning to other people. In the book of Second Peter, Peter speaks of the fact that uh, God remembered Noah's day, and he remembered the wicked in Noah's day. And he says, remember what happened in Lot's day? And he says, remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? And he calls all of the judgments of God of the past up, and he says, remember what happened to those folks? Remember their wickedness and what their wickedness brought upon them and others? In fact, I have a, a sermon on when God's patience wears out, and I believe in the last sword or Lord or two, his brother, uh, that one of the sermons was on when God's patience wears out. But I've had one outlined in my Bible for years, but be sure and get your sword of the Lord back there because there's some good reading. Be sure and get one of those. They're free. They don't cost you anything. Brother Nichols and his family is paying for them. We appreciate it. So you take uh, uh, God calls to remembrance the wicked things of wicked men as an example. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10... Uh, Paul calls all of the things to remembrance that happened to Israel, and he says, Do not follow their example. They were an example to those that would live ungodly. And he says they were in samples to us. And he says they were destroyed in the wilderness. And he tells of various incidents that happened. And he says, Take that as a warning. All right, let's go on down to verse 20. Let's see, verse... No, let's see, we verse... Uh, uh, 16 now, because that he remembered not to show mercy. See, this is why, because that he remembered not to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken in heart. So if you don't show any mercy, you don't get any mercy. It says, as he loved cursing, so let it come unto him. As he delighted not in blessing, so let it be far from him. He loved cursing. You know, we have a cursing generation today. We have people that use foul language and every other word that comes out of their mouth is foul. I get around people and I wonder how they even live with themselves and are reminded of what they're saying and how they even hear those words when they come back into their own ears, let alone into yours and mine. Love cursing, so that let it come to him. As he had delighted not in blessings, so let it be far from him. He didn't delight in any blessings, so don't let him have any blessings. You see, God gives what you deserve. And God rewards as you uh, deserve rewarding. Someone says, well, these are those psalms that talk about judgment and 
how the enemies of God's people are treated and wickedness should be treated. And yet Jesus tells us to love our enemies. He does, but he doesn't tell us to love the sins and the consequences of sin, even in the New Testament. And Paul flatly warns against all those that follow that same kind of pattern. And he says, as we've already quoted, that whatever man sows, that's what he also shall reap. Look at verse 18. We'll continue with this thought and then get into something else. Look at verse 18. As he clothed himself with cursing, like as with his garment, with his garment, it seemed like this was his clothing. So let him let it come into his own bowels, like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be unto him as the garment which covereth him, and for a girdle wherewith he is girded continually. Wouldn't you hate to gird, gird yourself or to clothe yourself with such vileness as cursing all the time? He says, "Let this be what covers him. Let him be clothed in that." In other words, he's really eating the fruit of his own ways, isn't he? Verse 20, let this be the reward of mine adversaries from the Lord and of them that speak evil against my soul. Let this be what's coming to them. Verse 21 begins to show his personal request, the psalmist's personal request. But do thou for me, but, notice, here's a change of pace. He's been talking about the enemies. He's been talking about the wicked. He's been talking about their mercilessness. He's been talking about their name, that it would be blotted out, would not be remembered, that they'd reap what they sow and they wouldn't receive any mercy because they had shown no mercy. They wouldn't receive blessings because they didn't care for blessings. They delighted not in blessing, it says in verse 17. And so we find that now he begins to give his personal request. As, but do thou for me. Don't you like to come to this more calm water and a change of pace and a change of attitude in prayer? Do thou for me, O God, the Lord, for thy name's sake. Because thy mercy is good, deliver thou me. He says, whatever they didn't need, I need. Whatever the wicked would not have, I want. I want some blessings and I want some mercy. And I want you to look to me. Because I need help. And he's expecting it. Deliverance was expected of him because of God's mercy. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. That's Psalm 25, verse 11. He says, do thou for me. He leaves himself in the Lord's hands. You're in good hands when you turn yourself back over to the Lord and say, God, I don't want what these other fellows get. If that's what they want, let them have it. But as for me, I I need your mercy and I need your grace and I put myself back in your hands. Isn't that a change of attitude and direction and and uh, the tenor of the, the psalm. Now look what it says in verse uh, uh, 22. He says, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. He was an object of pity. He speaks of his poverty. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 23, I am gone like a shadow when it declineth. I am tossed up and down as the locust. He realized that life was very frail. And it's very short, by the way. I'm gone like a shadow. He says, my life is like a shadow that declines in another place. The Bible says, my days are like a shadow. In Psalm 102, verse 11, my days are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like grass. The Bible says, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. It fadeth, and it just disappears, doesn't it? What happens to all of our summer grass and all of our summer flowers when the fall and the winter comes and the freeze begins to come? It all dies out. 
The wind comes and blows it away and scatters it, and we wait for a new life in the spring. And so the psalmist realized that our life, is a, our human life, our natural life is like that. Some of us are in the latter stage of those days of our life, the fall of the year. Some are in the winter time. Some are in the springtime of life. And that's a good time to be, is in the springtime. So you have it all before you. You have the whole season before you. All the seasons before you. So, notice, he says, I'm gone like a shadow when it declineth. I'm tossed up and down as the locust. His life was tossed about. And he was very frail. And then in verse 24, My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh faileth of fatness. His strength was gone. People lose their strength as they get older. I am become a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they, they shaked their heads. By the way, this happened to Jesus. Remember, they shook their heads. They, we read where they walked by and they wagged their heads. And then they spoke what we read in Matthew 27. Is your strength gone? Well, you know what? Your strength is in the Lord. It says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. And you learn to trust in God's strength when yours is gone. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You ever come to the place that your strength is gone and you feel like, I cannot do this? And you, you say, God, I know it takes your strength. Listen, I come to that quite often in my life. And more so now than ever. But I know that all things are possible with God. And that He gives strength when it's needed. You write, uh, read Psalm 103. Let me turn back quickly to Psalm 103. And I want you to get something. It says this, <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Now look at the things you get. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. That's one. Who healeth all thy diseases. That's number two. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. Who's the renewer of youth? The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. So we find that our strength comes from God, doesn't it? Thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Back in our Psalm 109, look at verse uh, 25. I am become a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shake their head. Verse 26. Help me, O Lord, my God. O save me according to thy mercy. Remember? He asked for help based upon God's mercy. When you ask for help, don't you know that God will give that because God is merciful? And that's what he's basing his, uh, his, his request for help upon. Someone says, well, why will God help me? Because God is merciful. Help me, O Lord, my God. O save me according. According is like a rule or a measuring stick. According to thy mercy. This is the way you're going to measure it out to me. According. This is a measure. The measure in which God is going to do something for you. Verse 27. That they may know that this is thy hand, that thou, Lord, hast done it. In other words, he asked for help based upon God's mercy. And divine help would be obvious that they would know that God has done this. It would be very obvious that God has done it. Look at verse 28. Let them curse, but bless thou. You see, you can't help what wicked people do. You can't help what uh, the people that curse do. He says, let them curse, but bless thou. When they arise, let them be ashamed, 
but let thy servant rejoice. You see, if a person is bent on what he's doing, if it's wicked, sometimes there's not a thing in the world you can do about it, but just leave them in the hands of God. The psalm says, let them curse, but, you know, bless thou. And he says, let them, what does it say? When they arise, let them be ashamed. Let them be ashamed, but let thy servant rejoice. You see, there's two sides to every coin. You know, a lot of people want a one-sided coin. They want God to just be one-sided. They put love on one side and they put love on the other side. But God's Word puts love on one side and it puts wrath and judgment on the other side. See, there's two sides to it. God loves, but God is a God of justice and judgment too. And so you can't have it both ways. And so the psalmist is saying here, he's showing you both sides, isn't he? Let them curse, but bless thou. And he says, when they arise, let them be ashamed. Be ashamed because of what they're doing, what they are. But let thy servant rejoice. You've blessed your servant. Let mine adversaries be clothed with shame. And let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. If people are going to be confused, he says, just let them be confused. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yea, I will praise Him uh, uh, among the multitude. So persecution brings divine aid. And help, to, it came to David, the psalmist. You know, the Bible says, if, if God be for us, who can be against us? And our enemies will be put to open shame. And he promises praise here. He says, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yea, I will praise him among the multitude. And then the last verse, he says, For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul. Blessings upon the poor are promised. And you and I are the poor in spirit. In Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is it to be poor in spirit? That's to realize, now let me close with this. That's to realize that we are paupers as far as spiritual things are concerned, and we depend upon God, and He gives us spiritual blessings. See, we don't have anything of ourselves. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's a lot of folks that profess to be rich in spirit. You remember in the book of Revelation, Jesus refers to a church and he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art miserable and naked and poor. He said, Buy of me gold tried in the fire and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And so, uh, if we're poor in spirit, we're in a good position to receive the spiritual blessings that God will give us and make us rich in spirit, spiritual things. But if we think we've got it all made spiritually, well then if we've got it made, we don't need anything else, do we? But if we don't have it all made, we need plenty from the Lord. And that's like runs of a ladder. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What does our poverty of spirit cause? It causes mourning over our such a condition. Then blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And, well, the merciful the next. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And it's a progressive thing. And we find that the more that God gives us spiritually, and the more we're sorrowful for our sins, and the more we... Uh, are merciful to others, and then the more we hunger and thirst after righteousness, the more the blessings come. They shall be filled. And you go read the rest of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and you'll see that there's a progression there of the blessed 
blessedness is. And the word blessed means happy. Happy is the one that is poor in spirit. And so the happiness comes from starting at the bottom rung of the ladder and climbing up to the top. 